You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. All right, Romans 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For if the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Now, in the wake of political division, let's, I mean, let's take an assessment of where we are as a people. In the wake of political division, economic uncertainty, you know, global pandemic, I think humanity seems and feels very, well, extremely volatile, maybe more so than ever in our lifetime. And I think it's become clear that the same old, worn-out approaches to human life have failed us. And what I hear from a lot of people within the church and outside of the church is essentially the same thing. We need something new. We, we need a vision for something new in our life. And this is what the book of Romans has been for us as a church community this year. What we've discovered throughout this letter is the good news that God has formed a new humanity, one that's not based on our race or our gender or our religious performance. Uh, or our, our social status or anything in and of ourselves, but is based simply on faith in the crucified and risen Christ. A life that is available to all who would come by faith. And as we see here today on this Easter Sunday, this new way of life has been opened to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 4 that Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so that we too might walk in newness of life. It's interesting, in all four gospel accounts of the resurrection uh, story, we're told that the, the tomb, the, the stone that sealed Jesus' tomb was moved by these angels. But it really wasn't so Jesus could get out. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Why would, Jesus has just conquered Satan, sin, and death. That's the claim of the Bible, at least. Jesus has just conquered death. Why would Jesus now need an angel to show up and move the stone? 
Like Gabriel, I got places to be. I got to be in Galilee in like an hour. Would you come on? Let's hurry. Clearly, it wasn't so that Jesus could get out. In fact, the way that Matthew tells the story, it's as if Jesus was already gone by the time the angel shows up. And so why does the angel or the angel show up to move the stone? And the answer is so that we could get in. Or let me say it differently, so that we could get in on this. In fact, think about what the angel tells the women at the tomb. He says, come and see. You've got to experience this for yourself. See, Easter is not a spectator holiday. Easter is an invitation to come in and to experience Jesus and to be transformed. Now, if you're familiar with the old movie, Goodwill Hunting, uh, there's a scene where Robin Williams' character has been criticized by a very young, know-it-all, Matt Damon's character. And in this scene, you know, Robin Williams' character said, you know what, I stayed up half the night thinking about your criticism. It really bothered me, and I, and, I, and I was losing sleep, and then he said, I thought about something that caused me to go to sleep, and I haven't even thought about you since. And he says, you don't have the faintest idea what you're talking about. You have no idea what you're talking about. If I asked you about art, you'd give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Ever written. Michelangelo, I'm sure you'd be able to tell me all about him, his life's work, criticism, political aspirations. But you don't know what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You've never stood there and looked up at the beautiful ceiling. He says, if, if I asked you about war, I'm sure you'd tell me about something that you read in a book, but you've never held the head of your friend in your lap as he gasps for his last breaths. And love, I'm sure you'd give me some sort of sonnet, but you've never looked in the eyes of, of a woman in a way that's made you feel truly vulnerable. And he goes on to say, loss, you don't, you don't know the first thing about loss. Because that only happens when you lose something that you love more than yourself and you have never even dared to love something that much. He's essentially saying you've never dared to experience all the things that you claim to know so much about. Information for you is a buffer between you and the risk of real life experience. And so it is with many of us this Easter. Now, typically on Easter, we remember and we celebrate the historic death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for very good reason, because our faith is not based on a myth. It is actually anchored in historic reality that Jesus truly lived, died, was buried, and on the third day was raised with many eyewitnesses recorded, you know, in various forms. But the Apostle Paul, who is the inspired author of the book of Romans, he's not so much a historian. He's a pastor. And he doesn't seem very interested in us just simply retelling the resurrection account. What he's interested in is you and I experiencing it for ourselves. An author named William Barclay said these words, Jesus is not a figure in a book, but a living presence. It's not enough to study the story of Jesus like the life of any other great historical figure. We may begin that way, but we must end by meeting him. Jesus is not a memory, but a presence. Jesus is not someone 
to discuss so much as someone to meet. You see, no one's ever experienced the kind of new life that the Bible promises simply by studying the death and resurrection of Jesus. Again, that's how we begin. But that's not exactly why we're here today. New life comes only when we share in it. This is why the Apostle Paul refers here to baptism, which goes hand in hand with faith. It symbolizes a union with Jesus Christ. It symbolizes us identifying with Jesus. See, we love to deal in the abstract. We, we think things like, I think of Christ, therefore I am a Christian. Or I don't know what I think about Christ. I'm probably not a Christian. No. What Paul shows us is that you've actually got to step in. You've got to quite literally, to sound cliche here, you've got, you've got to take the plunge with Christ. You have to let his life consume you and cover you completely. Because Christianity isn't just about giving Jesus our right thoughts or even our beliefs. It's about giving him our everything. It's about daring to love him that much. And what we sing about and celebrate today isn't just about one historic event in the past, although the resurrection is the, the epicenter of uh, you know, new life. It is the center of what we celebrate as Christians. But we're not here just to remember one event in the past, but to celebrate our own death, burial, and resurrection. And what Paul is talking about here is our participation, that through faith, when we are united with Jesus Christ, what is true of him becomes equally and completely true of us. And so today, what I want us to do is to briefly look at what it means to be crucified with Christ, to be buried with him, and then finally, to be raised with Jesus. First, what does it mean to be crucified with Christ? That's sort of an intense statement. So let's look at the Bible here. Look, look at me again in verses 3 and then 6 and 7. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So as a church, we have been wrestling through this idea of sin. And I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of us bring all sorts of ideas and misconceptions about this topic of sin. And what we've seen in the book of Romans and elsewhere in scripture is that sin isn't just doing naughty things that we shouldn't do. They're not just the things that get the sort of holy slap on the wrist from God. The Bible actually describes it as something far more fierce. It's a disposition of utter rebellion towards God. And before sin is thoughts or behaviors, it is actually a tyrant force seeking our destruction. So the problem is actually probably more severe than we were aware of. And what's clear here is that God's purpose through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ would be that we could be freed from all of it. But the way that we break free from sin isn't just by escaping it or, you know, God putting us in some sort of spiritual witness protection program out of sin's sight, you know, narrowly escaping. No. Sin would find us. 
And as many of us know, the reason you can't outrun sin is because you can't outrun yourself. And so the only way to break free and to be liberated, Paul says here, is through death. This is the big concept here. The one who has died to sin has been freed from it. Dallas Willard uh, made this sort of controversial statement. And it goes like this. He said, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we don't have to. He died on the cross so that we could join him. I seem to remember Jesus saying something about taking up our cross and following him. See, being united with Jesus in death means that the old self is brought to nothing. The old me that's gripped and enslaved by destructive habits has been defeated. And I know this sounds so intense. <laughs> and this sounds maybe a bit threatening. But I have to imagine that this is good news for the person that looks upon their past, or maybe even the person right now that looks upon their present with deep regret and shame. Kept up in the middle of the night by the thoughts of what has occurred in their lives, just wishing that they could go back and undo the past, just wishing they could blink and live a different life. Now, one of my favorite Easter stories to tell, probably every Easter, ask the people around you, I'm sure, um, it, it comes from St. Augustine. And St. Augustine, before his conversion, lived what he described as a very wild, you know, promiscuous lifestyle. And after his conversion, he went back to visit his own hometown, a place where he used to cut loose and get wild and get in trouble. And a woman said to be a prostitute that he had, quote, frequent interactions with, you fill in the blanks there, recognized him. And so she begins to call out to him, Augustine, Augustine, and he just does this strange thing. Strange thing. He just keeps walking. And so being persistent, she runs up to him and finally grabs him and says, Augustine, it is I. To which he responds, yes, but it's no longer I. In other words, you may still be you. And let's be honest, there are a lot of people in our lives who are like, wow, you are still you. And I can't change that for you. I can't control you. But it's no longer who I used to be. That me is dead and gone. The Apostle Paul would describe it like this in Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the truth is people in some way all share this like uncontrollable desire to reinvent themselves. We're all in some way trying to reinvent ourselves. And we do this through various ways, trying to, to break free from our past, trying to break free from the old us. People seek it through new relationships. People seek it through moving to a different place or getting a new job or a new education or a new look or a new gender or a new persona or something new about themselves. And the question is, how do we become completely new? Not just like superficially new, not just partially new. How do we become completely new? And as Romans 6 shows us, there's only one way to truly achieve this. 
by actually dying to the old in order to live to something new. And this is exactly what occurs when we trust in Christ for salvation. Amen? Secondly, what does it mean to be buried with Christ? Again, there's a strange claim. What does it mean to be buried with Christ? Remember, the stones rolled away not so that Jesus could get out, but so what? We could get in. Paul says in verse 4, we were buried therefore with him. Now this is probably one of the most overlooked portions of the, the, the equation of salvation. And, and like baptism, which is a picture of being crucified, buried, and risen, right? The old me is buried, and then the new me is risen. But we're often, you know, oftentimes we're really quick to move past the burial part. Now with baptism, for obvious reasons, because that would make a very tragic baptism service. Just like, I really want you to understand this baptism part here. <laughs> but why burial? What is accomplished in spiritual burial? Well, for one, burial seems to emphasize the complete departure from the old. Right? There, there, there's something very final about burial. As a pastor... I have stood with plenty of families, plenty of you, in, in the wake of the death of a loved one. And there's this really interesting limbo that exists between the time a loved one dies and they're buried or their ashes are scattered. And I don't mean for the deceased, I mean a limbo for the family. Right? The, almost the, immediately after a loved one dies, we, we go into to work mode. We're, we're planning the, the funeral. We're calling families. We're picking flowers. We're, you know, we're writing eulogies. We're getting dry cleaning. It's go, 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 go. And oftentimes, it's all sort of surreal until that very moment when our loved one is lowered into the ground. And as a pastor, I watch the face, the faces of men and women, and you can tell that it's at that moment it's real, real. Like it was always real, but this is when it's experienced as real. And the idea of being buried with Christ is so important because it represents a complete and final departure from the old, an acknowledgement that, that we really have parted ways with who we used to be. Now, unfortunately, many of us are, are, are grasping for the new while still trying to hang on to the old. Many of us have overlooked this portion of the equation, grasping for the new, but still hanging on to the old, like the old movie, uh, Weekend at Bernie's. We're, we're lugging around that dead thing, trying to play it off, trying to pretend like everything's okay, trying to doll up death. And it doesn't work that way. Just like a partial death and a partial burial of Jesus would have been of no use to, to us, so it is in our participation with him. It's all or nothing. And so being buried with Christ means committing the old us to the ground, saying goodbye once and for all, grieving it, and then releasing it. As Paul would say in Philippians 3, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I don't know about you, but that's the way I want to live my life. Not stuck in the past. 
Not stuck trying to revive the past like so many people around us, but releasing it to God and now finding total forgiveness and total freedom. I remember a conversation years ago now with a college student that was sort of exploring the things of Christianity. And after explaining in length the gospel message, I could still sense that there was hesitation. And so I just simply asked, okay, be honest. What is your greatest fear? What are you afraid of? It's rational to be fearful in this moment, but what is it? And she said, I'm afraid that I'm going to have to give up who I am and I'm going to lose myself in order to become a follower of Jesus. Now, I want to pause real quick. That's a very thoughtful fear. If you haven't thought that yourself, you're not thinking about this. This is a legit concern. I'm going to have to lose myself. And my answer was, you will. And this is both scary, but at the same time, extremely liberating. Because it's the key to embracing this new life that is ours in Jesus Christ. Now, some today are going to think, you know, I'm afraid I have too much to lose. No. The fear isn't that... The fear isn't there because you have too much to lose. The fear is there because you haven't recognized all that you have to gain in Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death to your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep nothing back. Nothing that you have not given away will ever really be yours. And listen to these words. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred and loneliness, and despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ. And you will find him, and with him, everything else thrown in. Everything else thrown in. Let's look finally at what it means to be raised with Christ. What does it mean to be raised with Christ? Look with me again in verses 5 and 8. For if we've been united with him in a death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. The beauty of Easter is that the tomb of Jesus became for us the womb of a new creation. And the irony here is this, that the moment that you step into the tomb with Jesus is the very moment that he sends you out into the world alive to walk in newness of life. And this isn't just wishful thinking. This isn't just fingers crossed. It's, as Paul describes it, bold certainty. He says we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. See, Christian hope brings a special kind of certainty. It's what Leslie Newbigin called a humble confidence. Now, this doesn't mean that I or anyone else knows what tomorrow is going to bring or the next day or the next year or fill in the blank. It doesn't answer all of our questions about life 
or the future. That's not the kind of certainty that Paul's talking about. The kind of certainty that Paul's talking about here is that because Jesus rose from the grave, his resurrection has and will result in our resurrection. And this means something for our today, and it means something for our eternity as well. Today, through faith, we can experience resurrection life. The Bible describes the Christian as a new creation, which means that all that is true of the risen Jesus, all of his goodness, all of his life, all of his beauty, all of his holiness, all of his devotion is given to us, and not just given to us into our hands, but imparted into our lives. What is true of him becomes true of us. And the Christian life is therefore living out the reality of resurrection life. I, I look around this church right now, and I see countless testimonies of resurrection life among us. Those who have been broken free from addiction, those who have been broken free from self-hate, those who have been broken free from self-harm, those who have seen impossibly broken relationships mended, those who have been healed from uh, racism, healed from crippling fear, healed from rage, and healed from greed. Testimony after testimony after testimony of new life. Amen? Easter fulfills. Easter fulfills that longing for newness like nothing else in all of creation. But it also means something for our eternity. In other words, beyond the grave. As Paul says, we will be, right. we will be raised. And this is talking about something to come. And that something to come, we know, is that when Jesus returns for his church, the dead in Christ will rise. And that means that we will take up new bodies, which are free from sin and decay and breakdown and sorrow and death. And we will, as God's people, live in totally unhindered freedom forever. But I want you to notice something here in verse 5. In verse 5, Paul describes the Christian as being united with Jesus in this process. But the old English translations actually capture uh, what Paul is getting at here. Any here. Anyone here with the King James Version of the Bible? Now, that's okay. I'll tell you what it says. In the King James Version, it says in verse 5 that we have been planted with Christ. What's another way of saying that we've been united with Jesus, that we've been planted with Jesus? Now, it's spring. I've been hearing all about your little home gardens and your backyards and whatnot. And so I think that this, we can understand this concept a little bit more today. And this gives us a really compelling illustration that being joined with Jesus by faith means that when we die, and I don't mean if, the mortality rate among all of us is 100%. That when we die... It's like being planted. A Christian poet from the past named George Herbert said, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has now made him just a gardener. Death used to be an executioner, but now for the Christian, he's just a gardener. 
Being planted with Jesus gives us the hope that the new us that will grow up out of the ground as a result, that that new us that will be raised by the very resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead, that new us will exceed the beauty of even the brightest moments of life today. And so let me conclude with a question. The question is this, have you dared to experience this new life? Like the women at the tomb, that against all logic, all sensibility, all reasoning, peek their head in to see for themselves. Are you willing to step in? And friend, I think you owe it to yourself. Are you willing to be joined with Jesus to to share in his death, burial, and resurrection? See, God's new world has come to us through Jesus Christ, and now you're invited to belong. Remember, Easter is not a spectator holiday. It is an invitation to come and be transformed. And the way that we today can share in this new life, the Bible tells us, is simply by faith, by believing. Here's the crazy thing. God is not asking you to make yourself anything today. God is not asking you to pull yourself to some spiritual height in order to achieve this today. God is simply asking you to offer yourself to him in order to receive his everything and to welcome the transforming power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ Christ, that has been unleashed into our world in a way that is just as powerful today as it was 2,000 years ago. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for...